everyone seeks happiness. From the time they get up to the time they go to sleep, everybody you work with, everybody in your family, every friend you have is seeking happiness. That's Tom Morris, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Monday. I hope you had an amazing weekend and are ready to jump into today's clip with our newest featured speaker, author, and former professor of philosophy, Tom Morris. And he's stopping by today to talk about happiness and This topic of happiness or the answer to what is happiness will always be up for debate because it's totally subjective. Everyone has their own interpretation of what happiness means, right? Kind of, sort of. Because although that may be true, there are some fundamental truths about happiness that have stood the test of time. And no matter what changes, they will always remain. And our feature speaker, Tom, is here to share some of those fundamental truths with us. Here's Tom Morris. Enjoy. If we understand Aristotle's question, what really motivates us? And we understand it not like Machiavelli tried to preach in the, in the Prince, but if we, Aristotle had an answer to his own question. What motivates us? Aristotle said something interesting. If we can understand his answer, we can get a leverage in our own lives and in the lives of other people we can never otherwise have. Aristotle said, everyone seeks happiness. From the time they get up to the time they go to sleep, everybody you work with, everybody in your family, every friend you have is seeking happiness. If we can understand that quest, Aristotle said, well, you know what Archimedes once said, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand, I can move the world. We can move the world around us if we understand the quest for happiness, that we ourselves are on, and that every client we have is on, every associate we have is on. Well, In order to understand this, we've got to ask a question then. What is happiness? You know what? Thousands of philosophers have addressed this topic over the centuries, and they've given at least hundreds of answers. But guess what? Those answers can all be boiled down into three possibilities. First of all, there's the answer to the question, what is happiness, that 90% of my students at Notre Dame came to campus believing. You didn't even have to ask them on a survey. You could just watch what they were doing and see they believe that happiness is the same thing as pleasure. Pursue pleasure, avoid pain, you're going to live a happy life. That's the view, right? That's the ancient Greek hedonistic view. That's the Epicurean view. Happiness is the same thing as pleasure. Let me ask you this. Does that capture your average work day? One big wave of pleasure washing over you? We laugh because no. Well, you know, the more pleasure we take in our work, the better, right? But we're in trouble if this is the right definition of happiness. Most people are in pretty much trouble. You know what Aristotle said about this view? This is a view fit for grazing cattle, but not for human beings. Aristotle, what's wrong with pleasure? Oh, nothing. 
I can't imagine a happy life devoid of pleasure, Aristotle would say, but it's a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. It's important, but it's not the whole thing. Well, what, what else could it be? A second group of ancient philosophers said it's, well, it's simple. Happiness is peace. Personal peace, tranquility, equanimity, unperturbedness. Imagine the soul of a happy person mirrored by the surface of a pond on a windless day. Does this capture your average workday any better? Isn't it, isn't it wild how full of the opposite life seems to be? Do, do you remember... We were mentioning partnerships with the universities a minute ago. You remember, some of you may remember like I do back in the 50s when sociologists predicted, and this was all across uh, university life in America, sociologists predicted by the year 2000 or the first few years following 2000, we'd all be living lives of leisure. That's what they said. Uh, we'd be working four-day work weeks, four-hour work days, and that's why in the 1950s, all the colleges and universities started establishing departments of recreation administration. Not just so they could have something for their football players to major in, but so they could have a place where the rest of us could figure out what to do with our lives. They predicted we'd be living lives of personal peace by this stage in history. Hasn't it gone in the opposite direction? I mean, some of you are old enough to remember, like I do, my first telephone. My fa I grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Our first phone, we had one phone in our house, and it was a rotary, a black rotary phone. And you'd go to dial a number, and you had to wait for the rotor, you know, to go back, you know, two, three, two, five, nine, oh no, this is going to take forever, you know. And then you pick, but you pick up the phone to start with, and, and there was somebody else on it. It was a party, it was a party line. Did any of you have those? You'd have to wait until your neighbor finished talking. Now, you could, you could fill the time by listening in if you wanted to, but, but we had to have a degree of patience back then. My house, my home, we got two phones. And I don't think we ever had a portable phone before, the, uh, before cell phones started coming out. I have a friend, a physician who lives here in Florida who still has the first cell phone. It's like a World War II walkie-talkie. I mean, it's this huge thing. And you remember we had car phones before we had portable cell phones. I remember in South Bend, Indiana, I'd see business people all over town stuck in their cars in parking lots, afraid to get out. They were waiting for an important call. They were just sitting in their cars, you know. And then they get uh, portable phones and they get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I actually know the uh, CEO of Verizon, and I asked him one day, Ivan Seidenberg, I, I said, Ivan, I've heard there's a research program someplace in the country to create a cell phone that will be implanted in our heads. Is that true? And Ivan said, that's true. I mean, the, the receiver will be a cochlear implant. The transmitter will be a tooth cap. Can you even imagine this? Doctor, doctor, there's a ringing in my ears. Well, answer it, you fool. I mean, and then what comes next? The intracranial answering machine? Sorry, there's nobody home. Well, obviously, if you've done something like this. Where's it gonna stop? Life gets faster and faster paced. It gets more and more stressful. And a man from South Bend, Indiana, he said to me one day, I guess anybody, people are doing anything to escape the stress these days, he said. I, I mean, my son, my son's, my son's even taken up meditation. I guess it beats sitting doing nothing. Well, it is sitting doing nothing, right? But with the best possible aim in view, this personal peace. Is happiness the same thing as peace? Marianne Evans, who wrote under the pen name George Eliot, great writer, 100 years ago. Marianne Evans said, don't tell me that happiness 
is tranquility. Human beings need action. And if we don't have it, we'll go find it. She was agreeing with Aristotle, who believed that happiness is the same thing as participation in something that brings fulfillment. A career, a marriage, volunteer work, community, volunteerism, something that brings fulfillment. It's engagement. It's action. In fact, the first two views of happiness are way too passive. You might be active in your pursuit of pleasure, but once you have it, it's something you undergo. Personal peace is obviously a passive state. Aristotle said we need a view of happiness as dynamic as we are. It's participation in something that brings fulfillment. Big thanks to Tom Morris for stopping by. You can connect with him by visiting his website, TomVMorris.com. His Instagram is also TomV, as in Victor Morris. And his latest book is entitled Plato's Lemonade Stand, Stirring Change into Something Great. And before you go, don't forget to follow the show wherever you get your favorite podcast, share it or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And if you like the clip, there will be a link to the entire talk, as well as all the links I mentioned to connect with Tom They will all be in the show description. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I appreciate you joining me and I'll see you back here on Wednesday. So until then, stay strong. Later.